John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1136.ps1848, certificate number 26161. Sergeant Stubby. Now, we don't know what order future listeners will be finding these records. Alphabetical. You Almost certainly. Alphabetical. Well, if it's alphabetical or if it's chronological, maybe they'll be like, um, you know, vinyl nerds that have to listen to all the records right. in order. Or, um, or they'll, they'll, uh, they'll put all their books on the shelf by color. <laughs> I, yeah, we should do different colors so we can, yeah. Or so. maybe the language of the future will all be written in Cyrillic. So, so alphabetical will be very compu- confusing for them. We have, uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing in our day where people will want to read all the books of an author in order or, right. you know, so chronological is a common, right. a common, so if, if they use that order, then they will have already heard the omnibus entry about, you're going to have to help me here, private, the Polish bear. Wojek, Wojek. Wojek? Wojek. Did it have a T in it? Vote, vote, no, but that doesn't mean I won't put a T in it. Yeah. <laughs> Bears uh, can't sue. It's private. Uh, well, you know, we always have a, have a, it's, we always have a problem with the Polish names because it's, yeah, it, it does have a T, Wojtek. I, I don't know if they will, um, yeah, it's a it, Wojtek. Wojtek. William Shatner's Tech War was named for, it's short for Wojtek War. Wojtek War. It's, it's all about the bears of, was it the Second World War? Second World War, Wojtek uh, actually had quite an illustrious career because the, the Polish army in, um, you know, became an ex an ex, ex expatriate army yes. after Poland was invaded, so... Wojtek made made the grand tour. Ended got, up in England. You just got troops of poles running through um, Persia and <laughs> right. and Wales. Italy. Yeah, yeah. Anzio. Uh, the my from my memory of Wojtek's antics, he was never a great soldier. His uh, hmm. the descriptions. You know, he he was an amazing companion and mascot for the the Polish thirty uh, third. Screen Door Submarine Company or whatever it was. Right. But uh, there were no accounts of his actual battlefield accomplishments. Well, let me give you a little anecdote, Ken, from my personal life. If this show, do you, do you think this show could accommodate it? I don't know. I don't know. We try to keep, stick to factual yeah. historical material. Well, this I think may, may be illustrative. I, uh, I was on the rugby team for Gonzaga University right. for a couple of years. 
uh, when I joined the rugby team, I had never seen rugby played. And when I left the rugby team, I still did not understand how the game was played at all. <laughs> uh, I, I, was a, I was a prop, a second row, which meant my job was to just be um, muscle. But surely in an ideal situation, even those people would know the rules of the game of rugby. Yes. And, okay. I, and I very frequently would be somewhere on the, on, the, on the pitch and would come in contact with the ball and would kind of not even know which direction to turn. <laughs> You're like a five-year-old playing league soccer, youth soccer for the first time. Yeah, right. I was, I was the... Um, I, I hope the ball doesn't uh, come this way. Because the thing is, in rugby, you know, a lot of the time you get the ball, but you turn with your back to the goal in order to establish a new, you know, a new line of scrimmage. And then everybody gloms onto you. There's a big scrum or a big pot, you know, a pig pile. And then you hand the ball out to your own teammates to begin a new assault. I like to imagine you in the scrum being like, hey, guys, what's what's going on? What do I do now? What should we do? And my teammates were very frustrated with me. You know, it was a Catholic school, and a lot of them understood rugby because it's part of the Catholic rites. Is that true? I had no idea. No, I don't, I'm not sure either. <laughs> unofficial eighth sacrament. But the thing about going on tour and playing other rugby teams in the Northwest, you know, I, Missoula had a had a team that was really a kind of uh, legendary. The famous Montana rugby. Yeah, the the uh, well, again, a lot of Catholics in Montana. Bellingham also had a great team down in Oregon. They had good teams, but part of the the grand tour is that after the rugby game, there's almost always a, a drinking contest. It's not surprising at all to me. It's part of the... They are Catholic. Yeah, it's part of the ritual of the of the whole experience. And although I was useless on the field, except as a, as a tall, broad person, to just kind of fill the field with meat... Decoy. Uh, during the drinking contest, I was an incredible asset to the team. It's like the biathlon. They're right. shooting and skiing. And so after the game, you know, although I was not... not just ridiculed, but scorned by my own teammates. Then we'd get to the the drinking establishment and they would push me to the fore because I could, you know, I could... This is finally your event. I could just put pitchers down one after the other. And um, I feel like Vojtek, although he, he was not like perhaps a shooter, he... That, wouldn't that be great though if he were a sniper? Yeah. Polish sniper. He, he definitely, I think, carried munitions, but part of being a soldier is smoking and drinking. And I think, think Private Vojtek was, like, smoked a lot of cigarettes. You think he's a good card player? Yeah, I bet he was, you know, he might not have been good on the battlefield, but he was great for, uh, like, intent morale. At the request of a uh, contemporary listener and Patreon supporter named Frank, uh, we are going to be adding a new entry to the omnibus that's kind of an improved version of Private Vostek. Ask yourself, what if Private Vostek, A, were a dog, so right, okay. po potentially a cuter animal, yeah. B, mm -hmm. outranked, uh, you know, got his stripes. <laughs> outranked most of his, his soldiers? Yeah, what if, he were, what if he were promoted to sergeant? Doesn't that feel like every dog uh, that lives in a home kind of outranks at least the children? Yeah, uh, our dogs, our little tiny... Uh, 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 Poodle spaniel mix thinks he's the alpha of the house Absolutely. and gets very grumpy when the bigger dog tries to lie down next to him or right. if anybody tries to 
move him from a warm patch of sunlight. One of his teeth falls out. He's lost all his teeth and it is not affected. <laughs> I mean, he's grumpy about it, but he has never kind of looked in the mirror and thought, you know what? I don't think I run this joint anymore. You know, right. uh, so, and, and again, a, a version of private Voschek in, in bull terrier form who is actually good at soldiering. Is that, does this presage a, a new theme in Omnibus where you redo my shows, yeah, I've but got better? A, I've got a list of each one of your shows <laughs> with notes. <laughs> hey, don't, don't play me. This is from Frank Caruzzi. Caruzzi? What's the Italian of uh, U-Z-Z-I? Caruzzi? Caruzzi. Caruzzi. So it's not... Does that mean Ruth Buzzy is actually pronounced Boozy. like... It's like Bootsy Collins? <laughs> right. Ruth Boozy. <laughs> Uh, the story of Sergeant Stubby is a World War One tale, yes. so we're not going to cover all the same ground. And it sounds like you're maybe a little familiar, a little bit familiar with this idea of a of a brave American doughboy who is also a dog. Yeah, it, one thing about World War One is depending on how you describe covering ground. If you think covering ground in a war is about a lateral uh, amount of ground, how much space can you sit a bunch of <laughs> kids from? The mid-Atlantic states. Yeah, just in a giant... How much of France? A line stretching from the English Channel to Switzerland, uh, then yes, it covered a lot of ground. But the but if if advancing or retreating is the ground, really, it all the whole entire war happened within 150 yards. I mean, those are different approaches to life. There are some of us who are into advancing and retreating. Right. And some of us who are just happy to occupy the most ground we can and and uh and have a smoke yeah sure spread out <laughs> <laughs> you know you're only going to be in france once probably it's like 19 it's 1917 you, you you haven't traveled much the story of stubby begins in boston uh he is a mix which i think is the nice way to say he's a mutt mm-hmm. um he appears to have quite a bit of boston bull terrier in him mm-hmm. and that would not be surprising boston is the birthplace of that particular breed but that uh, takes some of the cuteness out because Boston Bull Terriers, I don't know. I'm sure they're, li- they're futurelings right you're now. You're going to piss people off if you insult any breed of dog. Yeah. Who are like, what are you talking so about? So finish your sentence about how you hate Bull Terriers. Oh, the Bull Terrier is <laughs> the most beautiful of all animals. There we go. I mean, I'm a, I'm a conventional normie with my conventional normie gold, golden retriever. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm the same way. I, I, I think, you know, just get a... Just get a one of these genetically engineered corgis or shibas that look like they're fake. You know, they look like they're Japanese robot dogs. Why, why get why get a weird uh, a, why get a weird uh, Dalmatian with two colored eyes that make it look crazy? Well, or any of the dogs, including I think a bull terrier that was that seems specifically bred not to be able to breathe. Yes. Yeah. Or like German shepherds that are bred to not be able to walk. It was a problem with dogs that they were breeding too much, and the American Kennel Club was like, I bet. We can do something about this. The problem is that now they all just breathe really noisily and mm. and slobberily, mm. like they're dying every second. <laughs> it's a good reminder of mortality, I guess, to get, sure. one, to get one of these dogs. I feel like it uh, more and more all the time. That's how Grandpa sounded right at the end. Do their chairs squeak? <laughs> We're going to breed a squeakier <laughs> chair. Um, nobody knows where, in the manner of many stray dogs, nobody knows where Stubby came from. But I guess he was a regular around Yale's uh, athletic stadium. Oh, right. Uh, in the, in the middle decades of the 1910, the middle decades, in the middle years of the 1910s, the teens, the Yale, uh, mascot is a, is a bulldog. bulldog. Yeah. And the bull terrier is related to the bulldog. So that would be appropriate. You know, uh, he'd have a certain, uh, wait, I just said, um, I guess I just said 
I made it sound like he was a Boston native. No, his breed is. Yeah. But this is all happening in New Haven, Connecticut. I see. Um, He's a street dog from New Haven, from the rough streets of 1910s. He has somehow survived. Uh, uh, and I guess a campus is a good place to hang out. You got lots of annoying young people in raccoon cats and Stutz bear cats. Mm-hmm. Raccoon are, cats and Stutz bear cats. <laughs> both kinds oh. of cats that there are. Watching bears and Stutz bears. And they'll, they'll, you know, they'll feed a nice dog. Mm-hmm. There will be lots of uh, leftover food from the the cafeteria, and then eventually from the mess. Because when World War One starts, the Connecticut National Guard decides to use Yale's vast athletic grounds because Yale is such a sports powerhouse, as we know. Right? Uh, was then though? <laughs> probably was <laughs> more more so then. I mean, I'm sure to this day, you, there's nowhere else to go for fencing <laughs> or or uh, what do you think Yale's best sports are? My uncle was a football star for Yale. In the 1940s. You could still play football at Yale. I mean, Ivy League's got a respectable... But Yale was a huge... Yale was front page of the New York Times. You know, the Yale-Harvard game. That was was, the big game. Yeah, it was one of the the major sports events of the country. Because Alabama and Ohio State had not yet been invented. Right. Uh, They weren't even states yet. In 1812. It was called Alabama (laughs) Territorial University. (laughs) And the color crimson didn't exist. They just said kind of, go puce tide. (laughs) The uh, so the Connecticut National Guard takes over the area, and um, Stubby gets his name Stubby because he has a stubby little tail, which uh, you know would be typical for a Boston Terrier. It's not a great name. Well, it's how I mean, it's like naming a cat Mr. Whiskers. People they all have whiskers. People used to uh, nickname uh, things and people based on their physical attributes, which we don't do anymore. You wouldn't say, like, hey, Blondie, I mean, you might. Hey, big ears. It's a prop. I mean, do the, do people still do it with dogs? Kids will inev- inev- invariably think dogs should be named Blackie or Whitey, and you have to explain we are not naming our dog Blackie or Whitey. <laughs> we had a cat named Tippy because she had a tip of white on the tip of her tail. Oh, that's that. See, that's good. Tippy, it's, and it's like Tippy Hedron. It's a it's yeah. a cat related name. Yeah, it was cute. And then we had another cat named Flaky. Because she was, a f- she was flaky. Like in personality? Yeah, or she, mentally or, or bits of her were flaking no, off. No, she just was a flaky little animal. Except all, that's exactly like Mr. Whiskers, because all cats are flaky. Right. Um, a young uh, Massachusetts man named James Conroy enlists uh, in the Connecticut, wait, Connecticut National Guard? Is that possible? Is he from, he's from New England. Uh, just six weeks after the war begins uh the war for uh, after the sorry, united a- states after joins. woodrow wilson enters the war and then shortly after brought america he entered the war first <laughs> right when he marched out carrying <laughs> he, a flag he personally <laughs> declared war against the central powers <laughs> and then shortly thereafter uh no conroy is not from massachusetts he is from new britain connecticut mm-hmm. which uh, sounds like a, a made-up canadian uh, connecticut town mm-hmm. i think it's the, the town from gilmore girls he was a swamp yankee Swamp Yankee, sure. Uh, in fact, they called his whole company, like the, his whole division was the Yankee division because it was all, you know, these Massachusetts and, uh, and Connecticut National Guard. They were Guard the New England troops. Patriots. <laughs> they were called the New England Patriots. Um, and he soon becomes fast friends with this dog who's always hanging around the Yale grounds where he's training. And, uh, you know, it's gotta be a lonely time, right? Uh, even, even when you enlist, yeah. even when you, you've signed up for that, it's gotta be a lonely time and it's nice to have a faithful friend. Yeah. And this, you know what they say about psychopaths is that they, they love kids and dogs. Is that true? I think so. Can't relate to, can't relate to people. 
But they love kids and dogs. Kids and dogs. You I know, would have thought that a good-hearted people liked kids and dogs, and psychopaths um, tormented them. No, good-hearted left, people left pieces of them in alleys. Good, good-hearted people. People rightly hate kids and dogs. It's only <laughs> sociopaths. Every second I spend with you, I could not be spending with a fully formed adult with actual free will right. and uh, an agency. Right. Those are much too difficult to comprehend. Got it. Uh, and uh, Stubby appears to have, after spending all this time around training camp, he appears to have a knack for military life. He learns all the bugle calls, so he knows when Conroy is going to be where, when soldiers are going to be getting up or heading back to the tent. Oh, he's a smart dog. Yeah, he, it's a, there's a Pavlovian... I mean, that's how the military operates, on these Pavlovian principles. That right. If you hear this tune, it'll make you want to wake up. And if you hear this tune, it makes you want to go drill and, and so forth. Right. Um, and obviously, if it can work on... Uh, enlisted men, it can work on dogs. Sure. Uh, he learns to march in formation. I am so into this dog now. I mean, maybe, I mean, can all dogs march in formation? That just means they trot along next to a human, which I think I've, I've seen every dog do at Green Lake. I'm picturing him actually trotting in time. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he would have the, I mean, they're pack animals. Left, maybe he would have the instinct left, that humans do. Left, right, left. Although he His would legs have are to... different lengths. Well, but also dogs don't put both left feet down at once and both right feet down at once. If he did that, I would. It's true. The I le- would salute. This I dog. hope he corresponds with the front paw. Yeah, right. When the when the drill instructor says left, he puts the left front, left front right rear. Right rear. But also his pace is going to be different from ours. He's going to have to maybe take two steps. Right. Which means he's wrong half the time. His well, or right half the time because his <laughs> le- his his back leg is in sync. Conroy uh, even teaches him to salute. That's his big trick. He will he will kind of get up. He will, he will put both his forelegs in the air. He will he will put a, a a paw to his forehead and he will hold it there until he is saluted and then he will drop it. Wow! I love this dog. Why don't we have these dogs in the army now? It, it, we should, but really now that I think about it, it shows that these are actually pretty simple dog tricks. Yeah. Walk, oh right. Walk next to a human. Respond to a bell. Sit up. Uh, yeah, sit up until some, you're until you're told to sit down. So really, we're teaching. You know, military um, men are and women. Yeah, are taught to do basic tricks that uh, an obedient dog can do. Yeah, if you are a if you are a, a brand new enlisted person, you have the intelligence of a raven, somewhere between a raven and a bulldog. <laughs> that's what the that's what the tests they the first tests they give you. Yeah. Are meant to establish. Yeah. Do we have a raven or a bulldog? Can here? you take? Uh, are you interested in beautiful beads, or <laughs> th- will you march in formation? I thought the raven might be higher. Maybe not for military life. You know, I I've spent a lot of time thinking about the intelligence of ravens, um, given that they're a very common bird in Alaska, and yeah. you know people experiment on them a lot. But then I see them out doing what they're choosing to do, and it's like picking the ground looking for worms. So however smart they are. They haven't turned it into a more interesting, like, vocation. I just found out that crows commute, which is very disappointing Absolutely to me. Absolutely they do. But really, you're a bird. You can you, you have the freedom of the air. You can design any lifestyle you want. And yet, they all leave their flock in the morning, and a pair of them carpools out to the normal place where they're going to eat um, Worms de- and garbage. dead things off the road. Yeah. And, uh, and and sandwich wrappers all day. I had th- and the then same, at dusk they fly back. The same three crows yeah. showed up in my yard every morning. And people don't understand this because they're like, "Oh, there's a couple of crows out today as usual." No, those are the same yeah. two crows that have chosen you. And at night they flew 
with every other crow in the in the city back to some swamp somewhere. In North Seattle, they fly to Bothell. Here they fly to some area in Tukwila. Yeah, there's Tukwila two. Renton. Yeah. There's two. I wonder where the dividing line is, where the, where the North Seattle ra- uh, crows it's meet. It's got to be the, the ship canal. The South Seattle ones. Yeah, maybe it's just the ship canal. <laughs> or I don't know. Is it the Duwamish? Anyway, um, when Conroy is uh, uh, transferred to uh, a different training, or to Newport News, Virginia, I guess, to complete his final training to head mm-hmm. to the, uh, the European theater, uh, Stubby hops the train with him. And when it's time for him to board the USS Minnesota and head to France, uh, Conroy is able to work out a way to stow away Stubby on board with him. He, uh, he finds the right sympathetic people on board who will stow Stubby in a coal bin. <laughs> and once they're at sea, and I presumably it's too late to throw him overboard. Right. He uh, he gets them out and they feed him. This- I feel like this. Is, I feel like from time to time, the military, the U.S. military, adopts a much more whimsical attitude, and then other times it has to tighten up, you know, straighten up and fly right. But in the seventies, it felt like everybody in the army had a mustache. Yeah, I feel like it's most all that straighten up and fly fly right stuff is just it's. It's cafe, It's cosplay, basically. Mm. Like, we have to pretend that we're very serious and you have to do hospital corners on your cot and uh, why is your locker one inch out of uh, alignment uh-huh. private, you know? Uh, but that's just, you know, to get them in shape. And then once you're once you're actually over there, you can listen to, to Fortunate Son and smoke weed. Right. Oh, well, that was what they used to do. Now I think they listen to either Limp Bizkit or... Or, uh, Still Limp Bizkit, you think? <laughs> probably not. Today's more sensitive. Yeah. Uh, U.S. Army is listening to Tame Impala. Yeah, no, in, I don't in, think so. In Iraq. Every once in a while, I get a letter from somebody, uh, some someone overseas that's like, I love your music. It really helps me here in Afghanistan. But they're always like, a, they're always a lieutenant uh, <laughs> sitting alone in their tent, can't hang with any of the other soldiers. That's what indie rock is for. <laughs> That's right. One guy alone in a room feeling like nobody gets him. Uh, the Minnesota arrives in France. Uh, James Conroy and therefore Stubby are now part of the 102nd Infantry. And I guess his new commanding officer sees Stubby. And there's there's a moment where he's on the fence as to whether his his uh, his unit is going to have a mascot or not. And then pivotally, Stubby salutes. Of course he does. And the CO is uh, charmed for life. And suddenly, Stubby is now the mascot of the 102nd Infantry. Uh, at first, um, mostly just headquarters company because that's where Conroy is detached. He must be a He's an Ivy League man or yeah, something. Yeah, right. He's, he's a stenographer. He's yeah. He's he's intelligence for the 102nd Infantry. Um, but in uh, in 1918, their their CEO is replaced in short order by Colonel Machine Gun Parker. There he comes. Who is not named for his um, ratatat delivery, but apparently because he's very good at firing machine guns at oh. things. Oh, this was back when you could get a nickname like Machine Gun for being very good with a machine gun. Kind of like being called Whiskers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he and Stubby have the same have the same vibe. But he's a colonel, so he must have really worked his way up the ranks. Yeah, in what war is he firing a machine gun? Well, mach- <laughs> machine guns aren't that. I mean, machine guns hadn't been in the army for very long at that. Right? Point. Is it possible that he was in the Spanish American War, <laughs> Maybe. firing machine guns in Cuba? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Suddenly, I want to get to the bottom of this. Um, 
And uh, and he also takes a shine to Stubby. And so Stubby now is the mascot of the whole regiment. Oh, yeah. And when uh, Conroy moves from headquarters to the trenches of Northeast France, Stubby, where, as we've mentioned, there's a long multi-year stalemate going on. Yeah. Um, Stubby adapts quite well to the trenches. You uh-huh. know, he's he's got his pack, and they all love him and give him pets and scrats because trench life is so terrible. Well, and aren't those dogs bred as ratters? I mean, aren't they meant to be down in muddy trenches? So even though it was rare for this uh, this particular infantry regiment to bring over, smuggle over a dog, mm-hmm. it was very common to adopt local dogs in the trenches. Right. Um, they would do lots of different kinds of jobs. They could um, pull carts. You mentioned, I think that's something that even Vostek could do. Yeah. Um, could deliver messages, and they would rat. Um, right. Uh, the record is silent as to whether Stubby would actually eat the rats he found, but he was uh, an energetic um, shaker shaker of yeah. rats, which my dog will do. I have a little, you know, our little spaniel mix will just take his toy and go, and he's just got this instinctive. Let me break this thing's neck. Yeah. If this thing had a neck, if this stuffed... Stuffed trout from Mud Bay Pet Supplies had a neck, I would break it. You think of war dogs as being shepherds. And, you know, the Belgian shepherd is one of the great shepherds. Uh, but yeah, all, t- all, time, all time greatest shepherds. You know what? In top four shepherds. I go German, Australian, Belgian, Sybil. Yeah, so they were used on the other side as well. Oh, right. Right, right the Germans. Have their namesake shepherd. I mean, famously, the most famous dog in America was a rescued German shepherd from the trenches, right? Rin Tin Tin was right. brought home oh. as a as a as a puppy, I think. And I think he was uh maybe on the other side. Do you think Rin Tin Tin was was uh under oh, deep deep cover? Like a captured dog? <laughs> POW. Uh, I think he was a double agent. I think the whole time he was spying on Hollywood for the uh for what was left of the uh, you know, for his Central European overlords. Uh, Ken, I know that you like to stay fresh smelling, but I also know you're an active guy. You run around a lot, climb stairs, you're doing stuff, and also thinking takes energy. Do you do you sweat when you think? I do. That's whew. that's what. Yeah, I'm drenched in sweat you, doing I, omnibus. I get the thick musk of ideas. So how do you keep uh, so fresh smelling? Because my daughter is always commenting on how. How uh, how like a spring breeze you are? Really? Yeah. What an odd thing for her to for her to notice. I came by the other. I came home the other day, and she was like, "You smell like Ken's house." (laughs) I was like, "I do." What did I do? That could be a bad thing. No, I don't think so. I think she likes it. Uh, There's a company called Native that makes a series, a line of deodorant, deodorants, and deodorant alternatives that are natural. They well, don't have aluminum. I thought aluminum was what was in all deodorants. You can get a deodorant that makes you smell good and does not come with any of the risks of putting aluminum under your arms every day. Wow. They, well, instead, the, they use natural ingredients like coconut oil and shea butter. I always stay away from uh, deodorants because I feel like they're tested on animals. <laughs> Guess what? What? None of these products are tested on animals. They're all vegan. If if you you want to take a big bite oh, out of vegan. your deodorant and you're afraid it might have uh, like a, a big uh, like baby back ribs embedded in it, uh, not a problem. Well, so I have very sensitive skin. Yeah. I I break out like crazy. 
There's a line of sensitive deodorants for people who are sensitive to baking soda. Uh, if you're trying to cut down on plastic, let me just anticipate your next question. Are you trying to cut down on plastic? <laughs> yes, I am. It's crazy. They have a line of plastic-free deodorants. But I don't like scents on my body. I feel like my own musky scent is what people have come to expect from me. Or the smell of my house. Well, that's a, that's a new thing. I don't know. I wasn't anywhere near your house. Uh, there is an unscented option. They have rotating seasonal scents. If you want to smell like something different every day, confuse the authorities. That's nice. What, what would I do if I was like kind of afraid that I was going to run out of deodorant and got addicted to native and, and then I was just on another treadmill? There is a subscription model. This, this didn't exist when you and I were kids. Like deodorant wouldn't just come in your mailbox. That's 100% true. But what a, what a delightful surprise you could get if you I signed to, up for native's monthly subscription. Plan. I would run out and check the mailbox like Charlie Brown on Valentine's Day. There was never deodorant in it. If you're interested in a more natural alternative, you can make the switch to native today. Go to nativedeo.com. That's like native D-E-O, like not, short. Not the singer, D-I-O, but D-O, like. They're trying to get an abbreviation for deodorant, deodorant catch on, yeah. I guess. So that's nativedeo.com slash omnibus and use the promo code omnibus for 20% off. Ooh. That's nativedeo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. Either way, you'll get 20% off your first order. So the Iditarod race that made Balto the dog, the most famous dog in America. This is did, the actual original vaccine run? Yeah, the vaccine run. I, so it wasn't the Iditarod, but it was... Oh, you're you know, mad that I called Rin Tin Tin the most famous dog yeah, in America when you have say, an Alaskan. I was like, what about Balto? But that didn't happen until 1925. So, so Rin Tin Tin, I'll, I'll allow it. And even once Balto captures the headlines, I mean... It's pretty brief. Yeah, Balto's, Balto goes viral, but right. I mean, Rin Tin Tin is, is making... You know, he's selling more tickets than Mary Pickford. Even though there, there were like seven Rin Tin Tins. Yes. There was Rin Tin Tin and then the new Rin Tin Tin. The, the seven Rins, Rins Tin Tin. <laughs> Rin, Rin Tin Tin 3. I don't even know. Yeah, I guess they, they were actually maybe Rin Tin Tin's puppies. I think they were, it was a, at least in the in the family. Lassie's the fraud. Right. Rin Tin Tin. Yes, they were Rin Tin. <laughs> Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> <laughs> the Rin Tin Tin. Electric Boogaloo. Stubby does not mind the trenches. He, um, you know, he will cuddle up with sleeping soldiers to, you know, comfort the doughboys in faraway France. Um, they, he will stand with sentries on guard. You know, again, I don't want to overemphasize his importance to the war effort because, you know, he's just sitting next to someone. Sure, he's doing dog things. But it's, you know, we don't know what would have happened in the alternate universe where Stubby gets hit by a streetcar. Right. Maybe, maybe, uh... Maybe the Allies lose the war. Sure, sure. The you know the butterfly flaps its wings and the Kaiser rules the world. He uh, reactions uh, re- accounts vary of how he responded to artillery, but because of course, if you've had a dog, you know America used to love fireworks, and then mm. roughly ten years ago, we all decided to stop having children and get dogs, mm. and now America hates fireworks. Mm. You know, every every uh, New Year's Eve or patriotic holiday. Social media just fills up with people complaining about fireworks because their dog is under the bed. It's just social media that hates fireworks. Well, these are the people that have dogs instead of friends. Right. Exactly. No. No. Uh, no. Any people, <laughs> <laughs> people who are dog owners have always known that dogs do not like thunder and other big booming sounds. Right. And in some accounts, uh, Stubby is very brave in the face of the many different, <laughs> the, different the different noises of, of the German shelling you. Um, with different kinds of things. 
you got your Piccolo Pete's, you got your, your, your Catherine wheels, your, um, uh, but in, in other accounts, he's, you know, he's very brave and doesn't even flinch. So there may be some myth making here, mm-hmm. but, but whatever the case, he, you know, he gets used to his new environment. He doesn't love it, but he's still loyal to the, to the boys of the, of the Yankee division. You can train a horse to not flinch when you fire a gun right over its head. You sound like you sound like you have firsthand experience here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of psychopaths who love dogs and children, um, he uh, he actually is. Um, this is a little more impressive than sitting next to someone. He is a because he's got a keen sense of smell. Sometimes he can predict shells before others can hear them, and he can smell gas before oh. others can hear them. He's the b- bulldog in the coal mine. He is, yeah, exactly. As the saying goes, he has issued his own uh, gas mask. And at one point, he actually, um, you know, he he spots a sleeping soldier in a in a dugout during a gas attack, and um, you know, and reaches them and wakes them up at at the same time as the gas does, and they get their masks on. And the soldier later writes a poem about Stubby saving his life, in which one verse goes: He always knew when to duck the shells and buried his nose at the first gas smells. Was it E.E. E. Cummings? And well, that young man <laughs> turned out to be Siegfried Sassoon. <laughs> uh, I think you can, it's got some capital letters here, so it's probably not E.E. E. Cummings. Yeah. Um, other uh, units did have mascots at this time. You know, uh, one unit somehow got a white goat over from the States. Oh, called, not, not a Belgian goat. No, they brought a homegrown American goat named Mademoiselle Fanny okay. to France. Wait a minute. I think of the name Fanny as being associated with goats. Did you know a goat named Fanny? I just, I feel like Fanny is the, is a common name for goats. Could that be? Maybe. Could Fanny have already been a common name for goats in 1917? It's either way is possible because Mademoiselle Fanny did make the papers as, uh, you know, look at our, uh, our boys over there. These ones have a goat. Right. Um, uh, for some, some, in some way, one division, I think even acquired a pair of lion cubs, which Whoa. makes you wonder, I guess it's gotta be some kind of itinerant circus. Yeah. Or a zoo got blown up and they right. rescued the cubs. <laughs> right. But you don't want lion cubs. That's, that's not going to end well in a couple of years. Um, on April 20th, 1918, uh, the, the stalemate ends and, um, Oh no, this is a this is a German offensive, I guess, in April of 1918 near the French town of Seshpray. Mm-hmm. Uh and Colonel Parker orders everyone from headquarters company, you know, you know, the uh, Conroy is still at headquarters. So he's occasionally, you know, shuttled up to the to take his turn at the front bringing Stubby with him. But Stubby also spends a lot of time um back at headquarters eating treats and you know occasionally yeah. they get to tour paris or or normandy or or the south of france or whatever right they go um, they sing for the troops but at this particular time of this german push conroy and stubby uh are in the trenches and at one point the german assault uh fails and they begin to retreat and stubby can tell that the field has been has been vacated he at this point by the way he's very good at identifying german sh- soldiers he barks at the um the pickle hauba or whatever uh-huh. you call the, the helmet the with the, the spike on top. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's like the equivalent of having like the really racist dog that'll just growl at, at people of color. Right. Except here it comes in handy. He recognizes the helmet and, uh, 
He's good for keeping POWs in line. Growls at the Hun. He, yeah. That, that, is that an acceptable form of uh, discrimination? I'm not sure. Well, yeah. If you, if, I think you can be discriminating against Germans. Against the Hun. I mean, we certainly are on this show. <laughs> not as much as the Dutch, of course. But. Um, so he's, you know, he's a canny soldier in that regard. But he, you know, he can tell that the uh, German assault has ended and he ventures out on the battlefield. But then a shell explodes <gasps> near him. And he is actually wounded in battle. Shrapnel strikes him in uh, under his left leg, and he has to be ambulanced out. Um, Conroy crawls from the crawls from his trench to rescue Stubby, gets him in an ambulance. Maybe that's E.E. Cummings driving mm-hmm. him back. No, no, no. Behind the, the, the lines, the uh, the ambulance driver was was Hemingway. It was Walt Disney, and that's mm-hmm. what inspired him to make mm-hmm. Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for six weeks, it's a little bit um, it's a little bit touch and go, but. Uh, Stubby recovers uh, and recuperates and returns to the 102nd six weeks later after having made a complete recovery. With a purple heart pinned to his chest. Well, that's interesting. He does begin to uh, receive commendations at this point. Now, they're mostly made up. He's, you know, he's, he's actually doing real military. We're keeping the POWs in line. Um, he'll lead medics to the wounded in oh. some cases. Oh, cool. You know, because he'll... Because, you know, dogs have that kind of instinct. Oh, you know, a member of my pack is in trouble. I'm going to go, you know, Timmy's in a well kind of thing. Right. I'm going to bark at his cancer. So he, yeah, exactly. So he brings, you know, medics with stretchers to, uh, but later that year in 1918, um, after the 102nd, I think, uh, liberates the French town of Chateau Terry, the grateful residents make him a uniform. Uh huh. So uh, he wears uh-huh. this kind of chamois leather vest. And I guess there was a tradition of um, of uh, French towns kind of striking medals also uh-huh. for the liberating forces. So they, you know, so he wears a, uh, he's starting to wear, what, uh, decorations. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like a Spanky and our gang kind of uh, war medal made out of a, made out of a dog food can lid and a, and a ribbon. Uh, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if this counts as stolen valor, because none of these are real awards that he's receiving. Well, but they were awarded. Somebody awarded them. Yeah, so he— A French town. It's not stolen valor because he's plausibly uh, in the dark. He thought it was legit. Yeah. And it's not um, like—and they did better than—you know, Chewbacca doesn't even get a medal at the end of Star Wars. So the French are much more open-minded than the rebel alliance, I guess. So what what are some of the medals? What is he awarded medals for? Well, the pictures of him are very cute, first of all, because everybody likes a dog wearing clothes. Oh, I do like that. Uh, I don't know if I would pick a um, a World War One military uniform as the cutest thing to put in a dog. No. I kind of like maybe um, a bandana. The fact, the fact that it's made of leather kind of has a Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> it's not dog leather. Vibe. Wait, maybe it is in World War One France. <laughs> There's really no way to know. Um, at, at this time, uh, the you know the war is wrapping up. Um, Stubby and Conroy's division gets sent into sent to the front for the Moose Argonne campaign, which effectively, you know, is what ends the war, but not as quickly as anybody was hoping. You're asking what kind of decorations Stubby receives. Um, his unit captures so many German soldiers that Stubby gets the Iron Cross. Oh, they take an Iron Cross off a guy and give it to Stubby. No, the Germans awarded him the Iron Cross. No, no, yes, yes, you're right. The uh, <laughs> I guess this was common practice. Like a really hoped-for souvenir was to take a POW with the Iron Cross 
and and bring home one of the Kaiser's own decorations. Right. And Stubby was awarded one, so he wore an iron cross on his uniform. After his um, heroism in the Muzargan campaign, a lot of the myth-making about him says that this is when he is actually promoted to sergeant. But there are no photos of him at this time with any stripes on his little jacket thingy. Yeah. Um, so this is probably just stories that get passed around. Other newspaper accounts say that he was responsible for the Christmas truces, you know, both sides of the lines admiring this cute dog. And so he, that's what got them out playing tennis in the, in the playing no man's land, badminton and snowball fights and Christmas carols. And this did not actually happen. That, that happened years before. Right. Right. um, Right. Stubby was in the war. Oh, right. That was the first year of the war. Yeah. It was, there were no Americans at the Christmas truce. Um, so a lot of this stuff is made up. So even if he doesn't have a sergeant, stripes he does have an iron cross which is pretty good and then as different towns get liberated they strike all these medals so he winds up with like on the order of 16 to 18 little medals for the town of this and the town of that um, as he worked his way across france i've Um, been trying to uh become a kentucky colonel for many years but i feel like sergeant stubby i mean even as a kentucky colonel i don't think i'd get 16 medals well follow the example of how stubby got the iron cross you just need to take an existing Kentucky colonel prisoner, right, or several, or several. <laughs> so if you want your choice of, if you want your choice of medals, um, on November first, nineteen eighteen. Oh, sorry, November second, nineteen eighteen. So spoilers. Oh no, that's that's key. The very end of the war, uh, Conroy and Stubby both suffer a gas attack. Oh no, and are are wounded. You they know? were still gassing as late as November second, yeah, like nine days before the end of the war. You really got to admire these can-do Germans. Um, and, but when the armistice begins, um, there's a huge celebration in the lines, of course. Conroy and Stubby have both recovered from the gas they breathed, and uh, hundreds gather around Stubby and give him credit. You know, a mascot for a unit is good luck. Yeah, right. So at this point, you know, he's getting all the credit for winning the war, even if his tasks mostly included standing next to people and barking helpfully. So does Stubby then uh, begin a political career with the by giving a impassioned speech speech at a beer hall? Stubby met three U.S. presidents. You're joking about his political career, but he met as many presidents as Forrest Gump, I think. Wow! So uh, Wilson, yeah. So he meets Wilson a month later. Wilson comes over for a Christmas Day visit to the to the troops, and and we say, of course, now you could, you know, now, uh, you know, President Trump's uh, Biden hops on an airplane and he's carving turkey and. Uh, in um, Basra, right, right. Uh, you know, eight, eight hours later. Back then, it probably took him a few weeks well, to get to was, the front lines. He, he was coming to collect his accolades as the as the man who had brought a new peace to the world. Sure, and and as the first American to have declared war, you know, before right. before even he got the army involved. But then, does do Coolidge and Hoover also get in on the act? He later meets Harding and Coolidge. Harding, um, Harding famously an animal fan. You know, he had all the pets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And because um, this is what happens. Uh, even after the war, you know, Stubby, there have already been newspaper articles about, look at these pictures of our fighting men with this cute um, bull terrier. But now it's, um, now he's a genuine celebrity. I mean, he doesn't get home right away. He and, uh, he and Conroy uh, go see Paris in March of 1919 and immediately, what's the to do, what's the uh, must do thing in 1919? Immediately catches Spanish flu. <laughs> The dog doesn't, though. The dog doesn't. Conroy does. Conroy's laid up and misses most of his leave. But luckily he recovers 
Um, he is re- he returns to the states. Um, this time he doesn't have to sneak the dog on. You know, uh, Stubby boards the Agamemnon to great right. fanfare. Sits at the captain's and, table, and uh, he marches in the in the the parade upon return. You know, and as as all the men of his division do the uh, i guess the eyes right toward the officers on the viewing stand uh-huh. um the accounts say that stubby did as well which like, is a normal dog reflex you see where your master is looking and you look as well but pretty good it really impressed the brass right i'll tell you that all the more confetti thrown down and then uh even before and by the way like he got lucky i was reading that the uh <laughs> the french also had a whole canine corps of, of domestic dogs that they were using for various duties after the war, they put them all down. Oh! Every single one. With a bullet to the forehead. I can only... Ass- I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you, maybe you poisoned some hamburger. Well, why wouldn't they adopt them out? Isn't that awful? I think the idea was they would not adapt to civilian life. These these dogs all had shell shock or trench foot or, or right. whatever. They would viciously attack any yeah. German that they met. These Yeah. They, they see a... You know, somebody gets a, a kid gets a top knot that looks a little too much like a pickle hauba or whatever. And right. uh, suddenly the dog's on a, on the little girl's throat. I, top, I don't know. Top knot's very popular in post-war France. Well, what if you ran into Pebbles or Bam Bam from the Flintstones? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but never do. Um, luckily, uh, and some even some U.S. pets coming back were like thrown overboard by, again, the military deciding it's going to. Bummer. Play rough. Yeah, you got some dachshund that followed you all the way through the forests of France, and then you get some idiot staff sergeant on, or I guess it'll be a Navy officer maybe on the boat. Yeah, um, get this out of here. Tosses it, tosses your dachshund overboard. Hey, I, that was our dachshund. I suppose if if your regimental mascot was a, was a halibut, it would be doing it a favor. Yes, you'd be like, hey, you guys, this halibut has not breathed in three years. <laughs> this halibut... Saved us multiple times. Let's return it to its... <laughs> it's been holding its breath since 1916. Uh, the, um, but Stubby, by virtue of being a celebrity and wearing cute clothes and having an iron cross, for mm-hmm. crying out loud, escapes this fate and uh, becomes, as you would in, in uh, 1918, 1919, becomes a vaudeville star when he returns to the States. Oh, does a tour. Yeah, he tours. He's, he's not the most famous dog in the American army, say the headlines. So he's a big draw. Right. You go to see the plate spinners and the lasso twirlers. And then the saluting dog. And then the, the stubby comes out and salutes. That's a pretty good celebrity. Conroy keeps him as his master after the war. Um, Conroy goes to law school, as one does. Yes. Uh, coming back from over there at Georgetown University. And at the time, the Georgetown athletic squads are called the Hilltoppers. They are not yet the Hoyas, that kind of odd, what, Greek or Latin term. But the I mean, to this- Hilltoppers. To this day, I guess Georgetown is to this on a day hill. the Hoya's mascot is still a bulldog, mm-hmm. and so once again, um, Stubby gets lucky and he becomes the halftime mascot for the oh runs Georgetown, out on the field Georgetown football team. Yeah, and is even in some I don't know if this is true, but in some accounts is credited as kind of inventing the halftime show. You know, inventing the idea that college football should have right cavorting uh, mascots at at halftime. Runs out, salutes, the crowd goes wild, and at this time he becomes. Um, you know, once you've done your vaudeville tour, you need endorsements, luckily. So he invents those too? <laughs> he invents endorsements. <laughs> he becomes the spokes, spokesperson, the spokes terrier for the, um, what is becoming the American Humane Association. Oh, uh, not for, Quaker Oats, but but something related to being a dog. Yeah. And this must this was probably the dawning of an idea that you can't just kick your dog or, you know, leave it in a, a freezing shed all night. 
Growing up in Alaska in the 70s, it had not yet gotten there. <laughs> it hadn't gotten there. <laughs> I guess the American Humane Association was founded in 1877, but it probably did, it was probably thought of as maybe kind of an oddity like vegetarianism. Oh, yeah. what, we're going to be nice to animals? Come on. Right. Um, but it was gradually gaining speed in the early 20th century, and a famous face, a famous patriotic face like Stubby was perfect for that. So he would, um, he would march in parades with, again, with the president's dogs. This is how he met Harding. Um, this is a good uncontroversial stance for an unpopular president to take that mm-hmm. we should all pet our dogs more. And he was pr- presumably wearing a sandwich board that said support the humane society. Yes. And also wearing a new gold medal that uh, general blackjack Pershing himself pinned onto his wartime jacket or a facsimile thereof, you know, for publicity reasons. This yeah. was a medal that the American humane association had invented like bestest boy or, uh-huh. Uh-huh. or best in show. Yeah, except it wasn't best in show. It was, you know, the the Bravery for Dogs Valor Award or something. And they and for a photo op, they got Pershing to pin it on. Do they still hand that award out? <laughs> I think maybe it was given <laughs> once. <laughs> what if every year it's just been given to a less brave dog? Or a more brave dog, but less famous. Right. That's the thing. I mean, today, I'm sure Army Canine Divisions are doing real kinds of drug-sniffing sure. stuff. I meet brave dogs every time I go through an airport. Whereas, and they're designed to look cute. You know, they, they always pick the dogs with the floppy ears and tails because they don't want people to get nervous about, oh, about seeing a German sniff- shepherd at the airport. Right, sniffing their suitcase. That's why they're always cutie pies to put you off guard and think, oh, well, this cute dog won't smell my weed. Right. Um, he also becomes a face of uh, veterans organizations. You know, a lot of, this is when the American Legion is in its ascendancy because right. there were a lot of veterans who, you know. Needed a place to drink. Yeah, messed up by the war and or missing colleagues from the war. Uh, and that kind of became a center of American social life right? For, for men of a certain age. And Stubby was there at their parades and pancake breakfasts and uh, whatever else they'd had. I mean, dogs don't have that long of a lifespan. How long did this uh, persist? It's tricky. Nobody knows how old Stubby was because he just kind of appeared fully formed, um, you know, picking bones out from behind the, the Yale cafeteria or whatever. Skull and bones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he actually stole uh, Andrew Jackson's skull or Pocahontas's skull or whatever it is. Um, he died on March 16th, 1926. Um, believed to be about 12 years old. You know, mm-hmm. we, we assume that maybe he was about, what, what would that make him, four or five when he first um, attached himself to Conroy? Mm-hmm. And Conroy really took it hard. Uh, it was his meal ticket for one. <laughs> I kind of wonder how much there is of that. I think, uh, it's like a headless chicken. If you ask Conroy, I'm sure he would say that it was, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the companionship that got him through the war and even worse law school. Yeah. Um, but all dog owners will tell you, I mean, we'll, we'll sympathize with Conroy, right? He's sure. lost his best friend. I mean, my dog never made me a penny and in fact, it's quite expensive. Right. And, and I don't think you would actually cry if your dog's. Shuffled off this mortal coil. Uh, our little uh, poodle terrier, who's extremely persnickety. Um, I feel like I, I love him, but I feel yeah. like we could do better. Yeah. <laughs> Would you ring a bell three times? But we also have an extraordinarily cute uh, mini golden, who is just an unimpeachable dog. Yeah, although not the sharpest tack in the bulletin board. No, we haven't taught her to salute right. or uh, retrieve. Wounded men from the from the right. front lines, or who obey went any over the commands, wire. as far as I can tell. 
Uh, Kate's been working on her. She can, uh, she'll sit okay. and she'll stay. Okay. And she'll lie down, but I think that's mostly like lowering your hand to a level where to keep looking at it, she would have to lie down. <laughs> but there's a lot of that in dog training. Um, Conroy, it, so, but when my dogs go, um, I am happy to have the vet make whatever arrangements necessary. Conroy, in fact, feels that Sergeant Stubby should be in a museum. Oh, he doesn't taxidermy Sergeant Stubby. He does. Oh, he, wow. He wants Sergeant Stubby in the Smithsonian. And at this point, there's only one path to that, and that is taxidermy. I, w- I wonder how many futurelings are listening to this episode gazing lovingly across their living room at their own taxidermied, taxidermied pet. No, at a taxidermied human from our era. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's from those weird Chinese bodies in motion exhibits where uh-huh. they where they got Uyghur corpses through means you don't want to know about. Every future made them play will, table tennis. We'll have a a pet or a, a former formerly a pet human that's now encased in lucite. <laughs> I think it's just a human they found uh, in the wreckage, you know, preserved from all the from all the lecithin and Gatorade we put in our bodies. Oh, right. Um, no, it, it, this is still done today. Sometimes yeah. a very attached pet owner will want to keep Rover on the hearth. Yes. But I, less so. Have you ever met? I don't think I've ever met anyone who's done this. No, I do know people that have like taxidermied squirrels and stuff because it was a thing in alternative culture. They, but because they bought one at a, at a, Found at it at a, a goodwill store. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, that it's, meant that it was originally done as a, because they're often in little uh, dioramas. It was you a know. mid-century hobby and and not like a not a suspect one. It was really like this is what scientists do. Yeah. I wonder, you know, when we see a taxidermied animal, we have no idea what they looked like in life. So we can't tell if the taxidermy actually resembles them. You know, like you could But this is true of almost all portraiture. If yeah. I look at a John Singer Sargent portrait, I'm I'm like I'm like oh, that, maybe that does look like the Duchess of uh, of whatever. I have no idea. Right, or maybe not. But be. I mean, if it was a pet that you knew really well, and the taxidermist stretched its little face, gets over, the expression just wrong. Yeah, it's like she never. That's not her smile. And then maybe you put a bandana over the dog's hmm. face. Um, the uh, yeah, I don't think I would. I don't think I would do it. Mm-mm. But people were less squeamish. I guess mm-hmm. about about death in general, and maybe about dead animals on uh, on wooden. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't even. What is the armature of a taxidermy animal even made out of? I don't know. I don't, I, bakelite back then. I'm not sure. Where would you get a bakelite squirrel uh, squirrel shaped? <laughs> Got to send away for one. That's how popular mechanics started. It was all people <laughs> sending away for squirrel shaped lumps of plastic for so their did, taxidermy shops. Did the Smithsonian accept this uh, this? Uh, Inheritance? Not at first. Conroy had to settle for some kind of Red Cross museum of, of World War One memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and at one point, I guess, there was a fire in his, uh, in his Washington, D.C. high-rise apartment, and he had to escape with his taxidermied – he had to save his taxidermied Stubby from the fire. That was Stubby's last great hair-raising escape Ooh. was posthumous. Right. Literally hair-raising. But in the 1950s, yeah, his hair had already been raised once. In the 1950s, uh, Conroy was able to lobby the Smithsonian to accept Sergeant Stubby's mounted remains. And I don't know if he's on display today. People maybe don't have a lot of appetite for seeing mounted pets. Well, it also seems like there aren't a lot of school kids clamoring to see 
World War One's most famous enlisted dog. The Forgotten War. That's that's what mm. I call it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's forgot. It was forgotten. Uh, like when the last World War One veteran died in in two thousand. Yeah, right. Nineteen ninety five, something like that. You think? It, well, yeah. I mean, how old would you be? In? That's true. The youngest would have had to have been born around nineteen hundred, even if they lied about their age to get in. Yeah. So the early, it, it would have started with a two. Yeah, right. I guess so. It, it was probably on nine eleven. The last World War. Let's just say the last World War One veteran died on nine eleven. Nine eleven. Out of of shock. Of patriotism and a broken heart. Um, but you can see pictures of Stubby with all his various French medallions um, on the Smithsonian. Website. The taxidermy is maybe holding up a little better than the vest. Hmm. Um, but uh, he's now a proud part of our national heritage, and I, and I think a better mascot than the Poles. The whole reason I did this show was just to, uh, to plump for my choice of military mascot. Our best one is better than the best Polish one. Uh, well, I, I have to say that— have, have I convinced you? I have to say that he has— um, he has an illustrious career. He certainly uh, predated Vojtek, but do you feel like Vojtek maybe was inspired by him? You I think mean, when they asked Vojtek, when Mark Maron was like Vojtek, who are, who are your guys? He said Sergeant Stubby. Yeah, I mean Vojtek was a bear. I feel I feel like that really trumps a dog in in just in no i don't know i mean think about how much he, you have to feed a bear yeah but he was he has all the advantages of being a giant a yeah. giant animal stubby yeah. was a stubby little dog facing the same dangerous conditions but without all the the gifts that god gives a bear oh i suppose turns out the last uh world war 1 we have underdogs not under bears under bears what, sorry, what, you actually looked this up. Yeah, last World War uh, One veterans, uh, there were three of them that all died in 2009. Wow. So they made it not to 9-11. Was it a, was oh, it no, a, past 9-11. They made it made Eight it all years the, past. Yeah, all the way, I mean, all the way And then in 2009, what, they were all um, they were all in the same car driving to Dairy Queen and they got hit by a semi. There was a bottle of brandy that they were all going to open and then they, on the way to the brandy, they died. It was some kind of tontine where one of them was going to inherit... Uh, some uh, some German jewels, right? And uh, one of them poisoned the other two, but accidentally, right? The, he, what he, he lick, cut, licked his licked all his fingers after uh, after pouring out the wine. He cut his hair to to buy uh, leg braces for the other two, but they <laughs> had cut off their legs to buy a comb. Two thousand eight is that two thousand nine? Three years after the last long winter's record. That came is, out. Do you think it was Obama becoming president that killed them? They killed them. <laughs> it was the sh- it was the shock I think of a person were, of color being president. They none of them were Americans. Oh I think they were in the Royal Navy. This was or some something. country where eight year olds could fight in the war. Yes. They had an advantage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well that's an asterisk for sure. And that concludes Stubby, <laughs> Sergeant Stubby. Is this a, is this a funny uh, Hanna Barbera voice you do now? That concludes Sergeant Stubby. Entry one one three six dot ps one eight four eight. Certificate number two five one six one. In the omnibus. This is, by the way, this is the noise of me looking at the mail. Something, we, something either broke in transit or has multiple parts. We, uh, we have not done a recording for a couple of weeks, and we long, have long holiday break. Oh, and also you, uh, you were gone doing uh, Jeopardy, so it's been yeah, over have, a month, right? When Since, did we do a show? November. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a, the mail has really stacked up here. It's it's maybe too much mail. I don't know what we're gonna do. The last well, the last half hour of the show is me gonna be opening boxes. All right, you open that box while I do the uh, outro. Fair enough. Uh, Futurelings, I cannot endorse social media highly enough. <laughs> it really is its own reward, uh, and uh, I hope I hope that all of you enjoy social media as much as I do. You can find at Omnibus Project and at Ken Jennings on Twitter. Uh, you will not find at John Roderick, but um, but you can you can hold at John Roderick's Twitter uh, in your memories. I'm just talking about Jeopardy like a good citizen. Uh, that's right. Ken Ken is now 100% in the pocket of Big Jeopardy. Game show content, the best kind. Uh, at Ken Jennings there and Instagram. I also have somewhat of a dormant account there at John Roderick, uh, but uh, but it's now been made private. So you would have to already have followed it. So I'm going to excise that from the outro too. But you can email us uh, and and by all means do at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, please support the show uh, at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. We thrive on your uh, subscriptions. And that makes your... it sound like some kind of weird vampires. We thrive on them. We thrive. We've been growing large and fat. We are on, large and fat. I am at on least. On your donations. You're the same size. I'm a little fatter. That's that's mostly a Christmas issue. But uh, but we are, uh, we are uh, like, supported. We are member-driven, and there are lots of great tiers and rewards for your membership. And that's patreon.com slash omnibus project. Including a bonus episode or at the, at the lowest level, you get a, a new omnibus every month that no one else gets. Oh, that's right. Our, our special addenda episode. And at one of the higher levels, you can, you can call us up and say, hey, Ken, you should do a show about Sergeant Stubby. And I have constitutionally, by law, I have to say yes. This past weekend, we, uh, we talked to two different omnibus subscribers via Zoom. And they were they were extremely enjoyable phone calls. They were also gifted and interesting. It made me wonder why they listened to this. Yeah, one of them was a was a NASA rocket scientist, and the other uh, was a you know a, I think more more normally an IT person, but both uh, both fascinating conversationalists. So anyway, that is laying in wait. We also will send you our show notes, the actual show notes that we scribbled on the back of a of a power bill. This one is on the back of a Sousa March. Oh, That's why did you have the sheet music for a Sousa March? Well, you know, I'm just home with my trombone researching omnibus. This has got to be my son. <laughs> my son will print things out on the printer in my office and then forget about them. My, my whole family does this. I come home and there will be like a recipe my wife printed, um, some art project my daughter printed, Sousa March my son printed, and none of them apparently care to recover the paper they just wanted the fun of printing them it's like putting an article you mean to read over on instapaper <laughs> and then you never go there exactly right having printed it they feel like they they already have learned it uh you can i mean one of our more active social media fan groups is on uh, few, uh facebook um the risable social media uh, content factory that is the Futurelings on Facebook, but there are also Futurelings groups on Reddit and Discord and... I am given to understand. Many other places. And you can send us actual mail that Ken is now unwrapping at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We, what do you got there, Ken? We have... Uh... 
what's, yeah. the, what's the name on this? That seems like a very large box for for to contain only a postcard. A. Ellison uh, sent us from Michigan. I know it's from Michigan because there's actually a, a Myers paper shopping bag. Oh, if you're if you're a fan of local supermarkets, please accept this gift of flotsam and jetsam from around my house. So now people are just are just sending us stuff instead of taking it to. Uh, to Value Village. I've been getting this too. I got a bag the other day in the mail that was like a rock and an arrowhead and it just seemed like the person swept everything off of a shelf. But this is very omnibusy stuff. There's two 10 rupee notes from India. Oh. So, you know, the treasures of the East. Right. On each. Two mail truck, uh, like little Hot Wheel sized things, officially licensed by the United States Postal Service. Those are actually pretty rad. Probably the only things keeping the the post office solvent. Uh, are you going to keep there it sales in, of mail trucks in, to Futurelings fans? In its, uh, in its original packaging? No, I'm going to zoom oh, it around uh, and make mail truck noises. Yeah, me too. Are you going to keep yours minted, Bach? No. Uh, two Rock'em Sock'em robots. <gasps> Look at those. I mean, it's Sans board, but you can still make. Make them fight with the little levers on their back. Yeah. Well, uh, one is red and one is blue. Which are you? Uh, I am from a blue state, so I will go blue, and you are from Alaska, so you get the red okay. one. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. You're, you can see Russia from your house. You get the red one. I love that, the, that this correspondent has thoughtfully given two of each. And four of these things... Uh, legs for Table Unlimited, of what appears to be a very antique package of... Easy to assemble, but self-contained table legs. Well, now this is a thing where giving two each is a little bit of a... <laughs> that's a little gaslighty. Well, we shared this table here. We could put all four of them on this table. If this table was six inches high, how different would this show be? But <laughs> <laughs> we just sit uh, Japanese style, yeah. and uh, it would probably be more uh, contemplative. Um, peaceful. I'm imagining like kind of a static Ozu shot of us at this little table. Yeah, crisscross applesauce. Exactly. What are these? As uh, maybe you're a bit more of a handyman than I am, John. Why would you have little tiny eight inch, uh, tapered table legs in a package? Well, looking at the logo, looking at the the way the packaging is designed, I'm going to say that those table legs and the shape of them. They uh, represent a mid-century modern style. They do. A very low coffee table. So this would allow you to take a piece of wood, like a, a live edge piece of wood, and turn it into a coffee table. But here's the problem. The pictures on the back show tables of varying heights, some of which appear to be non-coffee table height. Are you supposed to stick these on the ends of other longer legs? I feel like the Emco company is advertising the different sizes of legs. Oh, you think maybe they also sell those? These are super short legs, though. So you would have to have a low couch. Here are the three. Th here are the three best things about Lego uh, about legs unlimited. Oh no, you're right. Here's all the things they sell: tapered wood legs, early American legs, hubba hubba, <laughs> John Adams in uh, in stockings, mm -hmm. traditional square legs, hairpin legs. Table tennis legs. This is like um, red pistachio nut. <laughs> I feel like hairpin legs are made of steel. Banquet table legs. Yep. Well, what are table tennis legs made of? What, what, what distinguishes a table tennis leg from other legs? Well, it's very tall. Oh, is it just height? Picnic table frames. Hardware specialties. Come on, that just covers all of this. Right. And leg braces, like maybe for human legs? No. Why does it say leg braces then? If you had a coffee table with a broken leg. <laughs> 
I think maybe the same company made both table legs and pro- human prosthetics. M- Emco. Uh, Emco did it all. Something to look up. And here are the three best things about Emco. Number one, it's easy. Mm. Emco is easy. Number two, it's fun. Emco is fun. Uh, is it really fun to have uh, to put legs on a table? I think if you had a thing and you were like, oh, this would be cool if it was a table, and then you found... Emco Legs, Legs Unlimited. Make anything into a table. And you were like, I made it into a table. How fun. Put a leg on it. Also, and the third thing, saves money too. Hmm. Well, you don't have to buy a, buy a table if you make one. We can't afford not to uh, to make a table. I mean, I'm these. looking around this room and thinking of all the things I could put four legs yeah, on. Yeah, what do you have? Your synthesizer, maybe. Yeah, we could, we could turn one of those guitars into a very small and awkward table. It could be you. You could do like the sitting down steel guitar thing on it. Without just, it would have its own legs. Right. What if I put four legs on this coffee cup and just stood it about that high? He also sent two mystery yellow pieces of plastic, which I cannot identify. I love this. Let me see those. I would like to try to figure out what it is. Nice cat. Nice throw. This belongs to something. A board game. It's. Uh, Mattel. Oh, it's a stand. 2017. Oh, I, I, so have, I have solved the mystery. Oh, they're Rock'em Sock'em They are the stands, stands for the Rock'em Sock'em robots. Well done. Look well at done. that. Uh, thank you so much, A. Ellison. Uh, and Gregory sent me a stuffed goat. Oh, because you're the greatest of all time. I, Isn't it just awful that people will send me a stuffed goat and I'll, it'll take me a second to be like, oh, right. Because, because a stranger sent me a goat because I'm the greatest of all time. But, of we, but we came up in a time when being the goat still it was almost bad. meant, I mean, you know, like. Charlie it, Brown was the goat. Yeah. In 1920, it really symbolized being the loser. But uh, but by the 80s and 90s, well, it, it, it appeared in the in the movie The Natural, right? He was. He was about to be the goat before he hit the big grand slam. And kids loved The Natural. Right. Favorite movie. You know you're an 80s kid <laughs> if you just watched, if you just wore out your VHS tape of Robert Redford in The Natural. I have seen The Natural 40 times. Uh, it used to be on cable a lot. Yeah, that's why. Uh, the uh, goat is comes from a company called You Goat Mail, hmm. which I guess has told us there is a mail order company that just exists to send... Goats to people. You goat mail is such a Ken Jennings level of pun that I feel like that's the real gift to you. Thank you, Gregory. Who do you think? Um, what is this service for? Where you mail goats to people? I mean, in ancient times, it would be a tribute. You know, you oh, right. you idolize someone. You bring them a goat. Sure, cut the goat off that. Uh, cut cut the head off that goat, and I bet it's full of gold. It's uh, who do you send these? Maybe John Darnell gets a bunch of these. Are you going to put that on your in your trophy case? Your trophy case is really a marvel. It's not much of a trophy case. It does have a key to the city of Ann Arbor, Michigan. It does. You've been and a awarded, couple crossword <laughs> tournament trophies. You've been awarded a, a few kind of interesting awards, but and all from like the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And I and I think I will not be able to add a Grammy to it. I, I can't remember when the awards are. Maybe by the time this airs, people will already know I'm a non-Grammy winner. But uh, oh, because you were nominated this year. Oh, sure. Yeah. For for uh, for reading narrating Alex's audiobook. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put this in my Jeopardy trophy. Good. Why, why not? Yeah. Thank, thank you, uh, Gregory. I appreciate it. Is that all the, uh, is that all your part of the outro? I've read it all. That means I have to know what comes next. You have to know what comes next. <laughs> You'd think I would at this From point. From our vantage point is how it begins. Futurelings, 
from our vantage point here in your distant past. Ah, the email finally came up. We have no idea how long, I was off book for a second. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all the recordings in this series, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.